0: Hello, and welcome to the Hardcore Zen Podcast. My name is Brad Warner, and I'm your host. I'm the author of Hardcore Zen, Letters to a Dead Friend About Zen, Sit Down and Shut Up, Zen Wrapped in Karma, Dipped in Chocolate, and a whole bunch of other books about Zen Buddhism and other stuff. This podcast is supported solely by your donations. If you'd like to donate, go to hardcorezen.info slash donate, that is hardcorezen.info slash donate. There you will find links to my PayPal and Patreon accounts. Those are my main ways of making a living, and I thank you for your support. Okay, today's episode is a little unusual. In 2019, when I went on my tour of Europe, I was also making the audiobook of Letters to a Dead Friend about Zen. So what I would do is I would read chapters of Letters to a Dead Friend about Zen to the audience and those recordings became the audiobook that you can now go and buy on audible.com if you're into that sort of thing. But what also happened is I had a discussion with the groups after I read the chapters and some of those discussions were kind of interesting and this is one of the interesting discussions. This one came, uh, took place on Let's see, June 1st, 2019 in Lammie, Finland during a retreat that I was leading there. And the discussion centers around the idea of ordination and what it means to be a Zen priest or monk, uh, which is what the chapter of Letters to a Dead Friend about Zen was about. And I think it went some interesting areas, so I would like to present it to you and uh, see what you think of it. There are some issues with the audio because the microphone was on me and not on the audience, so it's kind of hard to hear the questions from the audience, but I did my best to try to raise the levels up, and I hope you can hear them. In most cases, I will repeat the question, you know, sort of, that the audience member gave, and so I think you can follow along even if you can't really understand exactly what they're saying. So here we go without further ado, take it away, me. So a bozu is, is somebody who takes ordination, and there's so, there's so many different sort of ways, like you have the rakusu, some of you have rakusus, which probably means you had jukai, and jukai just taking jukai in Japan wouldn't normally make you a bozu, necessarily, unless. But the, but the exact same ceremony is done for people who become priests, or almost the same ceremony. Um, you know, you just vow to uphold the precepts. So I don't know, I don't think the term bozu is used for anybody unless they actually do a, a monastic training period, though, I'm not just doing um, uh, jukai precept ceremony. And yeah, the word in Japanese for Buddhism is bukyo. <clears throat> and actually it's kind of an interesting story that I recently learned that the word Buddhism doesn't exist in any Asian language. Well, it may exist now, but it was an invention by the British. Um, the, the various traditions that we call Buddhist these days in the past all had their own names and they all kind of existed more or less in isolation from each other I mean some of them knew about other Buddhist traditions but mostly they kind of just existed in their own regions so Bukyo means uh, the Bu part of it is Buddha and Kyo is, is teaching so the teachings of Buddha is Bukyo that's that's all it means and Uh, What was I going to say? There's a book that uh, I've been trying to read, but it's so big. Well, it's not actually that long, but it's really, it's, it's dense. It's like one of these books that's not very long, but every sentence contains a million concepts. So it's really hard to read. But it's called Buddhist Religions. And the authors of this book, they think, they say that Buddhism is such a large designation that you, you shouldn't even call it one religion. It's like, it's like um, you know, we say monotheism, uh, and that includes Christianity, Judaism, Islam, uh, and any other religion that has only one God. I'm not sure if there are there any others that only have one God, but, but they say Buddhism is kind of like that. It's like a, a, a big designation and then the word for uh, religion or the word that's translated in japanese as religion is sh- shukyo and actually i'm i feel like i should look it up before i tell you what it means cuz kyo is is the same teaching but i'm not sure what shu in that sense means i don't know if it means assembly or it could mean it could mean some other things i'm not really sure but it's um yeah, it's not. It's not generally applied to. Well, I mean, they would call Christianity a shukyo, I think, uh, and other religions shukyo. But Buddhism is this funny thing. There's another letter in the book in which uh, I wrote about whether whether it even qualifies as a religion. You know, that's a kind of a, a point that a lot of people discuss. Especially in the West, you know, where we have a a certain definition of religion, but um, so so yeah, whether it's a religion or not is kind of a a open question. And I, I usually say it's not a religion on the basis of the there's no there's no set dogma. Now it sort of depends on which form of Buddhism you're talking about which maybe that's why the people called that book Buddhist Religions. But at least in the Zen form, and probably in a lot of forms of Buddhism, there isn't really a, a kind of idea that you have to believe a certain group of things. Uh, it's, it's, more, it's more based on the practice, although belief does enter into it. But like I said, in Zen Buddhism, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Uh, you just practice, and, and you believe whatever you want to believe. So that's not, uh, so in that sense it's not a religion. But it does have rituals which look like religious rituals and it, you know, we get together and we chant things and and, uh, there's a kind of institutions around it. So in that sense it does seem like a religion, so I don't know. So I always say it's not, but then I say, well, it's not, but it sort of is, (laughs) my, my answer to that. I should tell you the story that I told Lottie in the car uh, as we were coming up here about another sort of ordination. And I almost wish I'd put this in the book now that I thought about it because it, it's kind of a, a story about how different ordinations can be. Um, Cobincino was the teacher of my first teacher, Tim McCarthy. Okay, And there was another guy, I don't know this other guy's name, um, let's call him Bob, <laughs> and Coben thought that Bob should be ordained, but Bob did not want to be ordained. Right? And so he always refused. So Coben called Tim early one morning and said, hey Tim, we're gonna go over to Bob's house. And Tim <laughs> didn't know why they were going over to Bob's house, but he got a rakusu and, and they took this rakusu with them to, to this guy, Bob's house. And Coben knocked on the door and Bob started to open the door and then he saw that it was Coben and then he tried to close the door (laughs) (laughs) because he didn't want to talk to Coben. And Coben took the rakasu and threw it through the crack (laughs) in the door and as the door slammed, Coben said, it's ordination! (laughs) So there are many different ways to become ordained in Buddhism. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what happened to Bob? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't even know what his name is. So he might be somebody. There, there were several people that Coben ordained who are active these days in, uh, in, in both the U.S. and in Europe. He ordained several people in... He had, a, he had a temple in Switzerland, or a temple that was built by one of his students in Switzerland, who he, and he used to go there. So he has some Swiss, uh, or you know, people who he ordained in Switzerland, I think so maybe some German people. I met one in, in uh, Helsinki one year, somebody who was ordained by Coben, and I wish I could remember. I don't think it was Bob, uh, <laughs> but I met somebody um, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, Finnish, but he happened to be in Helsinki a few years ago, and I, I met him and, and uh, sat and talked to him for a while, but I can't remember his name. So there's a few people out there. But Coben's lineage is, is you know, one of the... His is one of the more free ones that I talked about in the, in the, uh, the thing that I just read, in the letter. In, in the sense that there, he didn't have a lot of rules about what his, his students should do and you know, how they should keep their head shaved and, and things like that. And On the other hand, like I said in there, if you get ordained through the San Francisco Zen Center, there are certain rules that you're expected to hold on to, or if, uh, I'm sure some of these other large institutions have, have uh, kind of rules that they, that they expect you to do. So it's very, it's very open and there isn't a real, there isn't like a central authority like the, you know, the Vatican who, uh, who decides these things. Although there is an organization in Japan called Sotoshu who decides things for members of Sotoshu, but even that isn't, that, even that's kind of loose because Nishijima Roshi, for example, was a member of Sotoshu because his teacher was. But Nishijima basically ignored everything that Soto Shu did because he didn't really like them. He said they were a, a guild of funeral directors and he didn't care about what they, what they did. Um, so, so when he ordained me and ordained Peter and, and some of these other people, he, uh, he never made any specific rules and he never made us members of Soto Shu either. I did one other ordination that I didn't mention in here, so I did three actually. And that one was to be admitted into the Soto as uh, as a monk. Uh, and I did it just before, I did it after I learned that I was going to move back to the United States. And I thought, I have an opportunity to become a member of Soto Shu while I'm in Japan and once I move to the United States I, that will be really difficult. So I talked to Nishijima Roshi about it and he said, oh you shouldn't be a member of Sotoshu, they're, they're just stupid, it doesn't matter. And I said, well yeah, I, I agree with you there. But uh, maybe if I go back to the United States and I start teaching then somebody might Claim, you know, make some claim like, oh, he's not legitimate because he doesn't have the papers from Soto Shu. So Nishijima said, oh, yeah, maybe so. And he kind of agreed, and then we went to this uh, temple in, in Japan. Um, why can't I remember the name of it? Um, in, it was in Shizuoka. Tokain, that's the name of the temple. Uh, and we went to this temple and did this kind of shoe organization, and they took my picture, and I wore some funny stuff, and I had to shave my head that time, and I, I looked terrible. Um, do, you, do you ever see Nosferatu, the, the really old vampire movie? That's what I look like with a shaved head. I look like Nosferatu. Uh, so, you know, and then, then there's a picture of me in this, in you know, a file somewhere in Sotoshu looking like Nosferatu. But that, it never did me any good. It was really, he, Nishijima was right, it was all a big waste of time because nobody cared. Uh, so if that ever becomes an issue for any, any of you guys in Finland, I would say don't worry about it, nobody cares. <laughs> I, I thought really American people would care whether I was a member of Shu or not, but nobody cares. and anyway, I, I think my membership might have lapsed because it's something like it, you have to renew it every ten years or something like that and uh, and I never renewed it and it's I think it's been more than yeah I think that was 2002 or 2003 so it's been more than ten years so I'm probably not even a member anymore they never sent me their newsletter or anything <laughs> you know I don't know what you're supposed to get as a member like a secret decoder ring or <laughs> I don't know, a hat. <laughs> you know, make Soto Shu great again, <laughs> hat, maybe. How <laughs> well, about the Soto Shu Muncha uh, mm. thing in, in the United States? I, all the materials that have been translated in English mm. mostly are made by Shohat Wokumura. I really enjoy the yeah. books and things like Shogokensu Zui Monkey* and the other ones. Yeah. So, What's the kind uh, of, can you say something about that? Yeah, yeah, they, they do have an organization in the United States. It's the Sotoshu Shumucho. I think it's, it's the same name in Japan. The Shumucho is, I, I forget what that means, but it's just the organization name. But yeah, they, and it's it's based in Los Angeles. and they keep various friends of mine who are involved in this keep saying "Oh, we should introduce you to the to the Shumucho people and but nobody ever introduced me to them and so I've been living there for 15 years and I I've never met them but they have a little office in little Tokyo uh, in a temple and they do things they do some things that I think are are really useful Uh, one of the things they did and this what you're mentioning is they Tried to make a standard English versions of the various chants, you know, like Heart Sutra and and other ones. They didn't do Enmei Juku Kanongyo, but uh, some of the other ones they made as sort of this can be the standard version of of this, and they're not bad you know, they're, they're good translations. And Shohaku Okumura, who I respect a lot, was involved in a lot of their translations. So, so, they're, so yeah, they're, they're good translations. And, and it's good in the sense that if you go to a temple where they're using these English, specific English translations, then you automatically, you, you don't have to learn it again, you know, to, when, you, when you go there. And in fact, the meal chant that we're doing this time is kind of a short version of the Soto Shu official meal chant in English. Um, And if you'll remember, the one we did last year was much more wordy and, and, you know, kind of difficult. Uh, That was the version that was, there's a standard version in Japanese, and when we chanted it at the temple in Tokain, where we had our retreats we would chant it in japanese so it was a piece of paper you got and on one side was the japanese written in roman letters and on the another side was the english just so you would know what you were chanting you didn't think you were you know selling your soul to satan or something you know by chanting some strange words uh and so I, uh, we used that version last year, I think, that, but that translation was not really meant to be spoken out loud. It was just so you could read along and know what you were doing in Japanese. And so it's not really in a form that's easy to, to chant. It's, not a, it's, it's also a good tra- translation. In fact, I think it's a bit better of a translation because it's more precise but it's also really hard to, to, to speak, you know, it's very, you know, it just doesn't roll out of your mouth very easily. Uh, so, so yeah, Soto Shu does that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, I don't know how much I should say about this kind of stuff, but the, there's some people in, in the US who are trying to start organizations that are gonna unify either all the Buddhists in America or all the Soto Zen Buddhists in America. There's there's two. There's a Soto Zen Buddhist Association, S-Z-B-A, and there's a Buddhist Association of America or something. I forget what the other one is called. Um, I never became a member of the Soto Zen Buddhist Association. I, I, I feel like Part of what they're trying to do seems nice, but part of the other part of what they're trying to do is is uh, they, they keep saying things like we want to have oh, this might I don't know what this will translate like but it's it they want to have an organization with teeth is what one of their members said, meaning that if anybody does something bad, you know, like a scandal, you know, like these various scandals that have happened then the organization will be able to somehow punish them or or something. And I think, ah, well, yeah, I know why they want to do that. But every time you get an organization like that, whose job is to punish the bad people, pretty soon the people who are in charge of it are the people whose main joy in life is punishing bad people. You know, (laughs) you know, so they're just looking for bad people to go out and punish. And, and I, I just feel like it's just not, you know. Of course, I, if I joined, I would be the first one they would punish, you know, I'm sure. You know. He did a video about, I don't know, UFOs. <laughs> we don't like that. I don't, what, I don't know what they would punish me for, but, you know, I'm sure they could find something. Um, he wrote a book with a dinosaur on the cover. <laughs> you know, he can't be part of us or something. Um, yeah, so, so I, I, I kind of prefer to be independent. And I, I think, uh, you know, if, if I was to give some advice to, to uh, Zen Buddhists in Finland, I would say you're probably better off to remain independent from organizations like that and resist. <laughs> this is my personal point of view, that it's better to resist organizations like that and just try to do it yourselves. And of course the danger is that independent organizations can also have scandals and bad things happen, but you know that I think that kind of takes care of itself when the, you know everybody goes oh I don't want to be part of this anymore and they all leave. So I don't really I don't know why it's necessary to have, you know, some big organization to punish the bad people and and decide who's good and You know, the Soto Zen Buddhist Association has all these requirements to prove that you're always in good standing with them. And I kind of think, uh, you know, I don't want to go to these guys all the time and say, can I still be a member? (laughs) No, you didn't do the thing. Okay, if I do the thing, can I be a member? Mm, Do the thing and then we'll see. And I go, do the thing. You didn't put your name on page 14. Oh no! <laughs> you can't be a member. Yeah, something like that. It's not, it's not spiritual things I suppose this time. But, yeah. but the thing with um, institutions and organizations kind of come together with religions and spiritual things. I don't know why, why we kind of feel that like we need, need those. Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, why do we need a, an organization or an authority for a religion? It's a good question, you know. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, there is a... In a kind of small sense, I think it can work uh, in, a, in a smaller sort of group in the sense that you have a teacher who has some kind of, some kind of something you know, and that teacher sort of acts as a guide for the, the, the group, you know. And, and sometimes that's a good thing because if everybody's just making it up by themselves, it can kind of get a little wild and, and, um, and doesn't work. But I think it only really works in smaller groups. Once you try to make it any, you know, once you try to make it very big, like the Vatican or the Soto Zen Buddhist Association or something like that. I don't yeah, I don't see any real point in it because you, you can't. if it, unless the unless the people are actually meeting and working with each other all the time, then it it doesn't make sense for there to be like a, a Zen Pope, you know over here in Los Angeles or somewhere, deciding what. You know, Zen people in in I don't know where, uh, Finland or wherever. You know, it doesn't make any sense for them to decide what to do, and and it never seems to go very well. It's like the Catholic Church. You know, I mean, what, why, why do we want to to be like the Catholic Church? Because they they don't seem to be. I mean, they do some things that are good, but they seem to have a lot of problems, and it doesn't really. You know, they're it's, yeah. Are we just used to having the Kabbalah church? Maybe. Do you think that we need one? I mean, I, I never... It might be because we're just used to it. I... I the shoe I think, is interesting because I was never... I tried to research this, but I think I'm asking a question that nobody else ever really asked. <laughs> and the question I'm asking is, what was the Sotoshu before the Meiji Restoration? So the Meiji Restoration was this event, if you have ever seen Last Samurai. It was this event in Japanese history where the Japanese decided to westernize, you know, to become a Western country. And 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 when they decided this, they changed a lot of their institutions that already existed in Japan to match western institutions that they thought were kind of equivalent you know including universities and school systems and government systems and you know etc various systems and i assume that that's what happened with soto shū and and i assume just from looking at what soto shū is like today that the soto shū said oh what's like us in the west and they went oh the vatican <laughs> you know and then they they tried to make a kind of buddhist vatican in japan you know be, the way the other institutions were becoming westernized and then it's i think hilarious <laughs> that that we Westerners are looking at the Soto shoe and saying, oh, we should have it something like that because that's what they do in Japan <laughs> when it's really just them imitating the Vatican, you know? And, and it's, it's kind of silly. But it might be, yeah, because we're used to doing things that way that we think it, it should be done that way. And I don't see why it should be done that way. I, I prefer the, the more, you know, wild approach uh, because, you know... I don't think that institutional approach, you know, it's, it's, it's usually put together to try to stop certain problems, but then you have those problems anyway, even when you have the institution, but then you're just paying a bunch of people in an institution to take care of those problems, which they end up not taking care of. You know, they're like, oh, pedophiles? Uh, yeah, let's just put the pedophile, send him over there, <laughs> and we'll just... Hope that he gets better. <laughs> you know, that's what the Catholic Church tends to do. And it uh, doesn't work too well. Yeah. I have a question. I was wondering, saying that how we shouldn't imitate large hierarchies that kind of develop. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to go the other direction, you know, not as equally radical, I mean, could you see or? would you imagine it would work, some sort of like a Zen type of organization that wouldn't have hierarchies? I mean, it would have teachers. It would just be kind of like, like a... Get fl- it together and yeah, like if there was a Zen institution that had no hierarchy and just kind of a flat sort of organization. I mean, yeah. I mean you mentioned a lot of times that you don't really... You know, the titles seem to kind of be more of a hindrance than they are yeah. like anything else. I mean, is that something that you have to really want to talk about? I'm, yeah, I have thought about that. And I, I think... Um, it's like, it's like you know, we're here at this retreat, and it's kind of like what I said yesterday. We have certain, you know, positions in the retreat, right? We have the Tenzo is a good, easy one, and we have what um, Marco is doing, and we have different people doing different things. And so, in a sense, there's a kind of a necessary hierarchy, but we understand that this hierarchy only exists for, you know, whatever it is, four, four days, or you don't count the first the first and last, but anyway, however many days that we're here, then the hierarchy exists and then after that, it's, it's not. So those kind of hierarchies are useful. Um, yeah, I, the thing about, mm, it's really tempting to want to go a, a kind of complete anarchy and say no hierarchies at, at all, um, but I don't think, actually I have a friend who's, a, who's an anarchist, and he was trying to tell me what anarchy is really like, and he was kind of saying it's sort of the same thing. You just form hierarchies when they're necessary and dissolve them when they're, when they're not necessary. And maybe that's a good way to go. And, and as far as like the teachers though, um, I mean there is something, uh, how can I say, when When this dharma transmission, and then there are other sort of forms of doing this, but in in Nishijima's way of doing it, it's dharma transmission, is kind of giving somebody a permission to be a teacher independently. And I kind of think that's important to have have something like that, uh, because I've seen it, I've seen things where people just suddenly decide, hey, I'm a Zen teacher, (laughs) you know, and... And those are usually terrible. Like there was a guy in Los Angeles uh, called Zen Master Rama, uh, who was mostly active during the 80s. And I think he died uh, in like 1987 or something like that. He got very wealthy and he committed suicide. It was a very weird thing. But his, his whole, the Zen Master Rama was just, he just made it up. You know, just one day he decided he was Zen Master Rama and he convinced a whole bunch of other people that he was Zen Master Rama, and, and you know, they believed him. And, uh, that only exists, given that there is an institution of the Master. Because, I mean, if it was just yeah. people, it was like, you know, hey, you know, let's meditate, and then if somebody does something stupid, we'll kind of like kick them out, or something. Yeah, I, I mean, you could, you could try that, and I, it would probably work. Um, but, uh, I don't know, there's something about that lineage that I think... I mean, it, it, the only thing my lineage means is that Nishijima Roshi trusted me, you know, and then, uh, what was this guy, Renpo Niwa trusted Nishijima Roshi, and I don't know who was before Renpo Niwa, but, you know, there's a lin- line of people who, who sort of trusted each other to be a teacher. So it does have that sort of authority, but, yeah, it's a good question. You had your... It's probably more like uh, because the institutions are uh, they think that there's a uh, poor evil or something. There's you know, a what? Poor evil. Like uh, there's the bad guys and you have to punish. Oh right, yeah. And that's evil and, and there's not like, they don't see that the, even the devil takes care of your puppies. <laughs> <laughs> there's always something good in this. But when you have like this organization that has hierarchy that there's this one guy saying that this is the right thing to do and everything besides that is, is evil or wrong. I mean it does set up that kind of, yeah, if you have a, an institution you do set up like there's us who are inside the institution and there's those outside the institution and it can easily turn into like we are the good guys inside the institution and they are the evil people outside the institution. And I mean, that, that's definitely a problem, you know, and that leads to all sorts of terrible things. And, and then there's the, the other thing that happens with institutions is power. It's something that, it's something that I watched both Tim and Nishijima reject. So both of those teachers I had rejected power whenever somebody tried to give them like a, a power like an institutional power, they always said no. They just pushed it away, and this is kind of maybe answers the, the other question. People people try to do that. You know, they uh, haven't it hasn't really happened here with this group, but but sometimes I'm in a in a group, and I can feel that they they're trying to give me some kind of power, which I think is you guys must be stupid if you want to give me power, because I would just abuse it, you know. <laughs> I would totally abuse it. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and I even see people on an individual basis sometimes who are in doku-san with me, and they're trying to give me some kind of power by sort of asking me what to do with their lives or this kind of stuff. So that, that happens too. But, yeah, that... That's a real dangerous road, too. But I always tell people I will, I'll abuse power if they give it to me. So, so far, they've said, "Oh, okay, we won't give you any power," because <laughs> you know he'll just abuse it. I mean, some of the th- some of the stories that have come out of uh, of these. Uh, I, I did a video just recently about the top ten Buddhist scandals, and. And because uh, in order to do the video I I was going online reading all these stories and I I didn't even put a lot of them into the video, but some of these stories I read were like, Oh my God, (laughs) I can't believe, you know, people would do that. You know, it just, it, it, it just, it's, it just seems like, and I don't think all of these people who end up in positions of power, in religious power and then end up abusing their power, I don't know if they start off that way. I, I suspect a lot of them start off with really good intentions, and then they just get all this, you know, I have a lot of theories that I could probably go on about for another hour, but we all wanna eat lunch. <laughs> but I have a lot of theories about why maybe this happens uh, to people who get into a position of power, even when they have good intentions, they still uh, go wrong. For about 10 years, I've had this idea in the back of my mind to write a novel from the point of view of somebody who starts off with good intentions and becomes a religious authority and then just completely abuses the authority. And I still haven't finished it. I, in in the, the, the latest version I tried, but I couldn't get very far, is I have Jesus Christ uh, just, he suddenly appears on earth Again, but not like coming out of the sky or anything. I, I, I was sort of imagining the historical person of Jesus, not not the the mythical person Jesus. And he just walks out of the uh, Pacific Ocean one day in in Santa Monica, and 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 he doesn't know why he's here. The last thing he can remember was dying on a cross and feeling like his whole mission had been a failure, and then. And then, next thing he knows, he's just in in california and and I wanted the novel to develop where he'd develop a whole you know all these people who realize, oh my god, it's jesus they they you know come around him, and now all of a sudden he's very, very powerful, and then even he becomes corrupt <laughs> and and uh, and abusive and, and scandalous and does all sorts of terrible things just because of the power that's been given to him. So the idea being like even Jesus couldn't be Jesus, you know. Uh, but I got I got about one third of the way through the book and then I couldn't write it anymore. It just wasn't mm, it just wasn't going. But that's just an idea I had. <laughs> I take one more. <laughs> I, I, I think there's something very interesting when you say that Nietzsche uh, Marossi was kind of this wasn't for the institutions and things, but his own teacher, the latest teacher, uh, Niwa Rempo became the head of of Shotoku. Oh yeah, that's true. Can you tell something about that kind of um, relationship for his do you know? uh, They were kind of going maybe to the kind of... Yeah, it's a good question and I really wish I knew more because I I don't know a whole lot about Niwa Rempo. So Niwa Rempo was Nishijima Roshi's ordaining teacher who gave Nishijima Roshi Dharma transmission and he became the head of Soto Shu as you say. Um, I'm not sure if it was before or after he did the ordination with Nishijima but it probably doesn't really matter whether it was before or after but um, yeah it's it's a really different idea of, of how things should be done I think, and this is just kind of my speculation, that maybe Niwa Rempo recognized that the world of Zen needed someone like Nishijima Roshi who was going to be independent, but it also needed, uh, at least in Japan, someone like him who could work with the institution. And, and so, Because there are, there are examples, not, Nishijima isn't the only example of, of somebody who was ordained by someone who is very much part of the institution but who then was not part of the institution. So I think there are people within these institutions who recognize the need for this kind of rebellious uh, side of it. And I actually think most of the people I've met in American Zen, most of them, not all of them, also recognize this, you know. It's like I'm, like the people at San Francisco Zen Center are still friends with me, you know. (laughs) Uh, and they tolerate me and they you know sometimes invite me to come but they never invite me to go speak at at uh, Sandra like I I have spoken at the San Francisco Zen Center like inside the building of the San Francisco Zen Center to audiences I've done that but I'm never listed if you like if you get a list and go online of like past speakers that I'm my name is nowhere to be found and it's nowhere to be found on a Brooklyn Zen Center either, who are kind of related. They, I, I just looked at that recently, and they list all their teachers, and I'm not listed there, either. <laughs> so, I don't know, you know, but they'll still, when I go there, they'll still, when I go to San Francisco Zen Center, they, well, at least to Tassajara, they still let me do the priest duties and, you know, do the bowing and, you know, the thing I do in the morning here, because um, they recognize the legitimacy of, of my ordination. It's weird. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, there you go. That was my talk in Lommi, Finland on June 1st, 2019. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to contribute to this podcast, go to hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. There you will find links to my PayPal and Patreon accounts, which are my main ways of making a living these days. And I thank you for your support. And we will see you next time we do a podcast. Have a good time all the time. See you later. Bye.